Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. Um, we're really sad but also very excited because I think this is might, might be one of our last core topics on hematology. Hem- um, on hematology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got lots more topics coming up for you guys, oh, so don't worry. Not, we're not leaving anytime soon. That's right. You're not getting rid of us that, that early. Yeah. But today's topic is going to be multiple myeloma, Andy. And this kind of follows on from our series, the past couple of talks about uh, malignancies of blood cells and um, or cells originating from um, various different types of blood cells. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to finish it off by talking about multiple myeloma. Do you want to kick us off yeah. maybe by defining what it is? Multiple myeloma or like the plasma cell disorders in, in, that we're going to cover today is a neoplastic clonal proliferation of plasma cells that produce a monoclonal immunoglobulin. Yeah. Um, so essentially what it means is that we're talking about an increased growth of the mature B cells or the plasma cells that produce one single type of immunoglobulin. Mm. And they just go berserk, don't they? They just yep. constantly you know, proliferate and literally overpower anything else that might be present as well. And that causes an end organ dysfunction. Yeah, and also the fact that they're producing plasma cells that produce lots of immunoglobulin probably contributes to end organ dysfunction as well. Yep. So like you mentioned, it's usually one clone, but occasionally you might see biclonal or multiple myelomas. I think they're really rare. Mm-hmm. And very rarely do you see plasma cell myelomas that don't secrete any immunoglobulins, most secrete immunoglobulins. Okay, yeah. Like the frequency of this disorder increases with age. Okay. And the median age of diagnosis, I think around 68. Yep. And like we mentioned with the non-Hodgkin's lymphomas, mm-hmm. you tend to see it more frequently in men than women. But what's the actual pathophysiology of, of this disorder, Andy? What happens? Okay, so we've got a mature mature B cell that goes and becomes a, a plasma cell, but yeah. there's a few gene mutations that mm. it picks up along the way. So once again, there's a chromosome 14 um, uh, translocation. Yeah, it involves that. the chromosome 14. Um, yep, and then also there are additional gene changes that allow the plasma cell to continuously replicate and just keep on dividing and yeah. produce a lot of them. Uh, what else have I, might, yeah. I have, might I have missed? Yeah, and I, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I guess the first thing is there might be some sort of germ um, cell, so germinal sort of abnormality, right, to okay, begin yeah. with. Yeah. Or there's some genomic instability, and that's you know related to let's say chromosome fourteen dysfunction. We'll talk more about it in a, in a little bit. Yeah. A little bit more detail. And then the second hit model is probably where, where it's important. So these cells are starting to multiply, okay, yeah. and then they, due to their rapid uh, proliferation, they develop further mutations that lead to this full-on multiple myeloma presentation. So that's uh, the second hit model. Let's it. not talk about the second hit model yet. Yep. We'll talk about it when we talk about oncology um, in the future. But yep. keep that in the back of your mind. But in terms of what happens is that, so like we mentioned, it's, single clonal, and they produce lots of immunoglobulins. So 95% of multiple myeloma cancers produce um, M proteins. And M proteins, to put it simply, means monoclonal immunoglobulins, right? So they can have these immunoglobulins because they come from the same type of plasma cells will have identical heavy chains and identical light chains. And in some percentage, they won't produce the heavy chain. They'll just stick with the the light chains. What are some of the common immunoglobulin subtypes that you might see, though? We've got most of the um, these immunoglobulins that the the malignant plasma cells produce will be IgG. Mm. So it's of fifty percent of them produce that. Uh, Twenty percent produce an IgA. 
rarely do you get IgD, yeah, um, immunoglobulin D, and even rarely, uh, even rarer are the IgMs that are being secreted. Yeah, exactly. So most of it is an IgG that's being secreted mm. in multiple myeloma. There's another condition which we'll talk about where, for some reason, IgM dominates. But yeah. uh, and when we talk about more purest form of multiple myeloma, it's IgG that is the predominant. Yeah subtype of immunoglobulin that you tend to see and like we mentioned around you know 15 to 20 percent of patients only have the light chains being produced so it's not even immunoglobulin it's just no it's just the light chain yep. just being for some reason being mm-hmm. produced and you might come across a term called ben's jones protein and it took me a while to get my head around this it's just m proteins in the urine that's yep. all it is yeah um nothing special about it it's just the m proteins in there mm-hmm and like we mentioned, less than 5% of these patients are non-secreted, so they don't produce any, the plasma cells don't produce any immunoglobulins or any light chains. Yeah. So what we mentioned some of the potential causes, but do you want to talk specifically what sort of chromosomal translocations you yeah. might see? So one of them is a 4 to 14, or another one is a 14 to 16. Yeah. Um, other ones is a deletion of chromosome 13 mm-hmm. or 17. That's about it, really. Yeah. That's the the main ones that we should focus on. Yeah. Um, and like we mentioned, fourteen keeps popping its head in in all of these um, sort of lymphoma lymphomas that we've talked about mm. so far. And like we mentioned, some of these changes can also lead to increase in cytokines. Mm-hmm. And so, an elevated increase in cytokines produced by interleukin uh, by plasma cells. An yeah. example of that being interleukin six has this perverse effect on the plasma cells where they produce these interleukin-6 yep. or the stromal cells supporting these cells produce it yep. and that leads to further proliferation of plasma cells worsening Ooh, their problems, which is not cycle. cool. So what are some of the clinical features? There's a mnemonic that's commonly used. Crabs. Yeah. Crab. So C-R-A-B stands for calcium, renal impairment, anemia, and bone disease. Yeah. I guess we'll Should we go through, um, yeah. through it systematically and see what yeah. we get? Let's start off with uh, bone. Uh, so calcium. In multiple li- myeloma, you will develop a um, hypercalcemia picture and that's mainly because that the plasma cells will activate rank receptors r-a-n-k if you're not familiar with what rank does essentially it acts on the bones and it activates the osteoclasts osteoclasts break down bones so your bones are going to get broken down and that that bone will actually release calcium yeah that process releases calcium so not only do you have hypercalcemia but you'll also have uh, fragile bones so you increase your risk of f- fractures and on x-rays you get this formation of punched out lesions mm-hmm. or lytic bone lesions yeah and i think the cytok- cytokrine so, sorry cytokine that they produce yeah. is called macrophage inflammatory protein oh, yeah. and that's how the plasma cells get to interact with the rank the, the rank uh, ligand oh yeah um yeah so like you mentioned that punched out lesion that's really interesting because if you have a look at an x-ray on that yeah you have these you know beautiful opacities which is what you would expect with the point and then mm. you have these darker areas suggesting that there is reduced density and mm. so that's what the punched out lesions are yeah and these lytic bone lesions can increase the risk of fractures so these patients are more prone to you know breaking their bones and things like that mm-hmm. what else do you see so you said you get you know um mm. hypercalcemia and bone disease mm. can you make, talk to me a little bit more about like the paraprotein which yep. would another name for paraprotein is the m protein isn't it so something the, weird happens in that doesn't it yeah so essentially one of the key and the most uh, uh, keyest probably isn't the right word but one of the close most, enough one of the most important features about um multiple myeloma is this increase in immunoglobulins that Mm. the body is being produced. So when you look at your body's uh, proteins that's that's secreted, for for example, through a process called 
uh, serum protein electrophoresis, you're going to notice a huge increase in concentration of uh, immunoglobulins. Yeah. If you haven't done, uh, if you haven't had a prac at school or like had uh, played around with serum electrophoresis before, essentially what the process is: you grab a drop of blood, you um, you put it onto a, a plate, and you're going to put electrical charges through it, and it's going to separate your proteins according to their size and their charge. Um, usually, normally, you have a huge spike on the left hand side of the results and that signifies albumin which and is a normal protein isn't very it? normal yeah and then it's going to wave and spike on like later on so you've got an alpha one band alpha two beta one and gamma mm-hmm. gamma band but yeah. the key part of it none of those bands in under normal conditions are larger than the albumin band but in uh, multiple myelomas you're going to have a huge spike in the gamma region and gamma regions are because of um is is where the immunoglobulins yeah, lie. That's what yep. you see, and that's why it's called it's called an M sort of um, M spike. Uh, M spike because if you have a look at the diagram, have a look at it in one of your textbooks or on on, on mm-hmm. um, like on the internet. Yeah, actually, if you use your imagination a little bit, it kind of does look like an M, doesn't it? You have two spikes, and in the middle there's this trough. Yeah, and that trough kind of reminds me of an M. So that's a good way of remembering it M as spikes. well. Yep. Yeah, that's why it's called an M spike. Now, what else can we? Um, I guess. Yep. Talk about are there any other sort of I think can, can these patients get um, anemias and things as well? Definitely, from let's say the bone um, bone marrow suppression could occur from this increased proliferation of plasma cells, so that could crowd out the usual um, the the bone marrow and then that that would lead to anemias. Yes. So yeah. once again, back to back to the general pathology which we've been talking yeah. about for quite a few times because normally i guess what happens is that it's unusual for to see plasma cells in the bone marrow right but for some reason they have an affinity towards the bone marrow that's a very good point and so they start proliferating in the bone marrow as well yeah and that leads to crowding out effect that we've mentioned in other sort mm. of blood cancers we've come across there's something else that happens as well there's some sort of formation that occurs do you want to maybe go through that yes so in the um when you do a blood smear and you look at what the um what it what the blood cells look like, you're going to notice that the red blood cells tend to pile on top of each other, kind of like a stack of um, poker chips. Or coins. That's how I remember. And so this formation is called a Rouleau formation. R-O-U. Is it Roulox? Is it Rouleau or Roulox? Uh, I can never I'm going with the French pronunciation. Go for it. Love Rou- it. You're, you're a bit of a Frenchy Rouleau. deep down. Okay, so um, okay, so a Rouleau formation. So it's spelled R-O-U-L-E-U-X. And... Essentially why this happens is the immunoglobulins, this, the high concentration of immunoglobulins disrupt this surface charge balance that the red blood cells usually have, and that causes the, um, the cells to stack on top of each yeah, other. Yeah, perfect. Okay, and one of another uh, symptom of multiple myeloma is proteinuria. And Hamid, let's go through why. Yeah, why so we mentioned occur? you can get sort of light chains or immunoglobulins in your urine, and that's called the Ben's choice protein. But unfortunately, that can also deposit in, let's say, the glomerulus, um, and that can cause glomerulonephritis, and that leads to renal failure because um, it can disrupt the glomerulus. And so that's where you can get protein in your urine. You can sort of develop this nephrotic picture. But in addition to protein uh, in your urine, you can also develop amyloidosis where you get the uh, M proteins depositing in the tissue and that can lead to damage to the tissue, but it can also affect circulation to tissues as well. So that's where you're going to get some of the end organ damage that we mentioned. Interesting. 
In addition, you can also get hyperviscosity of the blood. So you can Im- imagine if you've got so much immunoglobulins in your blood, yep. they can actually they also have surface charges as well, mm-hmm. and they can also disrupt the function of platelets, mm-hmm. and so that can lead to um, can lead to hemorrhage and bleeding as well. Yep. Also, if you only have one type of immunoglobulin dominating your repertoire of immunoglobulins, then you're bound to have infections because your immune cells probably are not functioning adequately. Yeah. Is there anything other features that you want to talk about? Did we talk about immune suppression? Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we okay. talked about increased risk of infection. <laughs> All right, but let's. So that's kind of some of the clinical features. Have you come across uh, anything else you want to add? Just, um, I guess, before we move on to the next disease, we'll just just quickly sum up yeah, once again, right. um, because there are probably six main clinical features that we should look out for. So the first one is bone pain with hypercalcemia. The second one is elevated serum proteins, the, uh, the looking for the M spike, essentially. Third one is the risk of infections, uh, anemia with rouleau formations, primary AL amyloidosis, <laughs> and uh, proteinuria. Blame that on sleep deprivation. Yes. Okay. So those are the six main one, uh, clinical features that we should look out for in multiple yeah. myeloma. Okay. Now, the next condition, which is kind of related to multiple myeloma, is monoclonal um, gammopathy of undetermined significance, or MGUS is what I've always heard of. So that's when you, it's kind of like multiple myeloma, but not as severe. So you get an increase in serum protein, usually greater than 30 grams, less than 30 grams per liter. Okay. Um, But it doesn't have the crab feature. So it doesn't have hypercalcemia, it doesn't have renal dysfunction, it doesn't have amyloidosis, Benz, Joyce protein, etc. Yep. Um, so that's why it's so a more just, mild form. You, so you'll just notice a increase in the immunoglobulins, but mm-hmm. none of the other symptoms that we just mentioned. They're absent, yeah. yeah. And it, it's, you know, relatively, I mean, would you say, you know, it's, it, you can see it normally in about 5% of patients greater than the age of 70. Okay. So it's, you know, fairly common considering how many 70-year-olds we have. Yeah. But the only problem is it can eventually develop into multiple myeloma, and the transformation rate is about 1% per year. Okay. Um, so that's one of the big, big problems with it. Hmm. There's another condition as well. Do you want to maybe go through that? Waldenstrom's um, macroglobulinemia. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm throwing you all the hard ones. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> the tongue twisters. Okay. So it's a type of B-cell lymphoma. And so what you'll notice with this one, compared to the multiple myelomas, this one is interesting because it's got an increase in IgM production. IgM previously was really rare for um for multiple myelomas whereas with this one for some reason the b cells like to produce the igm yeah. one of the main complications that this causes is this hyperviscosity syndrome so these igm molecules are huge and so they will cause the blood to become viscous and then that could lead to one of its more um clinical features which we'll go through actually yeah that's so, right which would be the visual and neurological defects um you get you can get retinal hemorrhaging strokes um problems with visions because the because of this increased viscosity yeah and in in addition because these um igms are so massive they stop and they disrupt the function of platelets and kind of alluded to it before and that can lead to inappropriate or not substantial platelet aggregation and that can lead to some of the hemorrhage that we talked okay, about cool but in terms of his treatment i guess we'll focus a little bit more on treatments later but you can treat it with thalidomide alkylating agents mm-hmm. and also rituximab um mm-hmm. rituximab wipes out cd20 yep. target so it wipes out b cells in general but also that's, plasmapheresis as well to yeah. filter out the igm yeah exactly yeah. to reduce the igm load but let's talk more focus on mgus and multiple because that's like the really important Okay. Um, two disorders that we should focus on. Yep. So what are some of the investigations that you might consider for, let's say, 
uh, multiple myelomas. There's specific CD markers that you need to be exactly. watchful of. So we'll use flow cytometry, and you, you would check the clonality again, like like pre like the previous talks yeah. that we've been talking about. But in this one, we're looking specifically for CD45, CD38, um, 138, is it? Yeah. And then we're looking yeah. for uh, CD19 as well. Negative. Negative. They, they don't have it, which is weird though, because they you know we mentioned the B cells tend to have 19, 19 20, yeah. and 22. True. But you know this must be a weird exception. Um, they can also have, you know, variable expression of CD56 as well. Yep. Now, obviously, you also we mentioned about electrophoresis, so you, that's an important part of your diagnostic repertoire. True. Um, you also, in some patients, you also see beta-2 microglobulin. Now, beta-2 microglobulin is an important component of MAT class 1, which is considerably expressed on all cells, mm -hmm. and it's an important part of detecting cell from non-self. Yeah. Um, but in multiple myeloma, for some reason, you get higher levels of it, mm -hmm. uh, and so it can serve as a... Uh, supportive um, component to your diagnosis. Yeah. Would you do a bone marrow biopsy in this case? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I think you do because remember, mm -hmm. plasma cells infiltrate the bone marrow. So if you see greater than 10% yep. plasma cell infiltration, mm -hmm. then it suggests, hey, maybe there's something weird going on. Yes, that's exactly why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what you meant. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, just, I just read your mind. Yeah. Um, so what, what about blood film? What do you expect to see in blood film? So the rule of formation that we mentioned before, the stacking of coins or poker chips. Yeah. Of yeah, red exactly. blood cells. Yeah. And if you maybe do a UEC... Um, you might also, so UEC stands for urea electrolyte um, creatinine, that's what we say in Australia. Mm -hmm. You might also see some calcium mm -hmm. as well. So if you do blood biochemistry, you see um, hypercalcemia. You also, on a frequent basis, do skeletal surveys as well to look for those lytic bone lesions and prevent the risk of uh, myelomas from de um, developing. How do you differentiate myeloma from MGUS? We kind of alluded to it already. Mm. So with my, uh, the multiple myeloma, you would look for the M protein in the serum or possibly the Benz-Jones protein in the urine. You look for um, the plasma cells in the bone marrow, yeah. and then you'd also look for evidence of end organ damage, so yes. crabs. Mm. Yeah. Whereas with MGUS, you would see, you would expect the M protein to be in the serum, but less than a concentration of thirty grams yeah. per liter. Uh, you would expect less, but like around about less than ten percent plasma cells within the bone marrow. You wouldn't expect any end organ damage at all, and you wouldn't expect any evidence of lymphoma. So essentially, the name gives it away. It's a um, MGUS is a monoclonal gammopathy. So you've got lots of gamma proteins, but of an undetermined significance, which yeah. is like. It, maybe the guys were like, why do we even care? Like, that, that's what the name kind of yeah. gives me that kind of feeling. Yeah, so that's it in terms of diagnosis. Um, now, let's broadly cover some of the principles of treatment as well. Yep. So how do you treat this condition? Um, there's different phases of treatment. Um, so you've got induction therapy, consolidation therapy, and maintenance therapy. Yeah. Yep. So induction therapy, you aim to uh, control the burden of what the plasma cells are causing. Um, and so you try to reduce the number of plasma cells. Yep. Um, hopefully that would try to, you'd also try to reverse the complications such as of, of hypercalcemia. Yeah, so that's more of like a supportive treatment. So if they've got hypercalcemia, you might get bisphosphonates and things like that to, to try to get the symptoms under control. Yep. Then you also have consolidation therapy. Yeah. And that's to, you know, so you've knocked out, with induction, you knock out a big portion of your plasma cells. But with consolidation, you ensure that that level remains low. Yeah. And then maintenance is this ongoing risk, uh, ongoing treatment to minimize mm -hmm. the risk of the disease progressing unfortunately yep. as it stands at the moment multiple bioma is not curable yeah which is really sad um, but 
yeah, so that's what main, the purpose of maintenance. But what are some of the chemotherapies that are used? Uh, one of the, well, I'd say notorious drugs is thalidomide mm. that is being used. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it was notorious because it was used in the wrong setting previously yeah. um, for, for morning sickness and caused a lot of teratogenic effects. But in this case, I think it's it's probably used in its rightful place. Yeah, and in in Australia, it's really heavily restricted. There's lots of sort of safe um, safe measures in place for it as well. Mm. But what does it do? Like, how does it actually help? Mm. So it's an immunomodulator, and it works on multiple sites of um, of the disease pathway that would help um, help alleviate the symptoms of multiple myeloma. So, for example, one of the things is that it inhibits NF kappa B. Um, beta, which is quite uh, one of the key, uh, would you say, like signaling? Yeah. Like so signaling pathways. Exactly. So I think plasma cells, when they interact with stromal cells around them, so stromal cells are like supportive connective tissue, they cause upregulation of NFK beta inside these stromal cells. The stromal cells in turn release um, IL-6, IL-6, which yeah. causes further proliferation of these yeah. non-functioning plasma cells. Mm-hmm. It also leads to increased production of um, uh, VGF, vascular endothelial growth factors, which are important for angiogenesis. Yeah. So they play, you know, um, so this actually targets quite a lot of those other pathways as well. Yeah. So yeah, so if you target, if you decrease expression of IL-6, then you're slowing the clonal uh, proliferation of plasma cells. Yep. If you're slowing the access to blood vessels, then there's a reduced risk of spread, for mm-hmm. example. Yep. But it's not without risk. Though. So we mentioned teratogenicity. Are there any other more common risks that you might mm-hmm. see? Neuropathies or um, deep vein thrombosis. Yeah. Those, were, those were some that yeah. also uh, are important side effects to be yeah. aware of. And there's like a newer generation one called lenalamide as well. Lenalamide. But it has okay. the yeah. same sort of, I guess the principles of the treatment are very similar. You can also give bortezomy, um, which I think bortezomy just affects the expression of NFK beta. So that NFK beta is important because it then has downstream cytokine okay, yep. production. And so it reduces um, plasma cell clones as well. Yep. You also give, I think, steroid. Dexamethasone is one that you give. And dexamethasone just decreases B cell. So it's, it's a steroid, so it reduces the expression of immune cells. Yes. What about like bone marrow transplant? Are they does it play a role? Certainly, like you would you would use the bone. You have to consider whether if the patient's suitable for using bone marrow transplants, yeah. though. Yeah. Uh, what 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 in particular do they need to consider? You know. So I, in terms of bone marrow transplant, so I guess you know there's two principles. So one is that are they suitable for intensive chemotherapy? If okay. they are, you give them several courses of the chemotherapy. Sure. And then uh, that that sort of prepares the body for either autologous. Um, autologous stem cell transplant yep, or if they're really young so less than 50 you might yep. consider giving an allograft stem cell transplant okay if they're not suitable for intensive chemotherapy so if they're greater than 70 years of age have lots of comorbidities yeah you might have to just treat with just chemotherapy malphalan is an example and i think it's an alkylating agent okay as we mentioned steroids antilinamide linamide or botazomib but i think do, do you know whether uh, i think stem cells cure it don't they that they offers a chance of cure i think that would be the case yeah, yeah. And that's about it. Now, I think we need to also mention that vaccinations are important because these cell, these patients are going to be immunocompromised. Compromised, yeah. So you need to make sure that you cover it. Mm. And prophylactic antibiotics are important as well because, again, they're immunocompromised. Yeah. But I think the key point here is the broad principles of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you want to add? No. Nah. All right. Wow. So that's well, that's a, another another hematology. one done. Yeah. Goodbye hematology. Guys, if you um, want us to cover any other topics in hematology that we may have missed, 
please let us know. Obviously, there's lots more that we can talk about. For example, you know, we were transfusion discussing, you know, potential talk about transfusion reaction in the future. Yeah. But I think as it stands, we've done the core of hematology. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, do you want to tell the audience what our next talk is going to be about? Oh, I'm super excited. Oncology. We're going to be talking about oncology. Oh, We're going to be... No. Sorry. Okay, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll quit a- Andy's... Um, a- a- Andy, oncology uh, scares Andy. But we'll, we'll uh, make sure that we, we'll look after him in this um, yeah. process. So yeah, join us in our next talk okay. where we will be talking about the introduction, of, uh, introduction to oncology. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to our Common Rounds podcast. You can find all of our episodes, notes, elective experiences, and much more content on our website. So come visit us at thecommonrounds.wordpress.com. And see you next time.